part of the program was like a, so when you listen to a song, a song should be like four to six minutes long, like max. This idea that like a song could be 20 minutes to a half an hour was co- like it like rocked my world. Like what? Like is that, you know, how is that possible? Right. But yet that was a way of saying, you know, what? it doesn't have to be, you know, the, the way you, you, you thought. Welcome to Beyond the Book Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wogelenter. Each week, I invite you to take a journey with me to take a look at what happens beyond a range of books and what inspires some of today's great Jewish authors. If you're an author, or if you know an awesome author who would like to come on the show, please reach out to me at info at intentionaljew.com. Speaking about Intentional Jew, this podcast is sponsored by Intentional Jew Podcast Network the greatest Jewish podcast network creating great Jewish content. We're always updating and adding new content, new shows, so check it out at intentionaljew.com. Today's guest is Rabbi Shlomo Buxbaum, who is the founder and director of the Lave Experience, a Jewish nonprofit in greater Washington, D.C. area that helps to empower individuals to find greater meaning, purpose, and possibilities in their life by deepening their connection to Jewish wisdom and values. His students and clients include adults, young adults, families from all different Jewish backgrounds. Rabbi Buxbaum just recently published his book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Jewish Life, which is just that. It's a guidebook to discovering your inner world and unique purpose. And after having this conversation with Shlomo, I understand that he's someone who really can teach us. He draws from the wisdom and the ideas in the Torah, as well as ideas that are not specifically from Torah sources like Fish, the band, as we speak about in the episode. And he's able to present those in a way that is easy, meaningful, and hopefully will be productive for every reader. And as usual, if you want to purchase the book, you can purchase it at Mosaica Press. Dot com and use our code that Shui Haber from Mosaic Press has been helpful through this entire process. He's hooked us up with a 10% off code. So if you go to mosaicapress.com and use code BEYOND10, you can get 10% off your book. You can also check in the show notes and you can support our show by buying the book straight through Amazon and using our Amazon affiliates link. Thank you so much. And without further ado, I bring you Slomo Books now. Um, Shlomo, tell me, just, just give me like the, the background of who you are, where did you come from, but in the context of, of how it brought you to these um, feelings, to these ideas, to write this book, this particular book, for this particular audience, what, what were some experiences in your life that brought you here? Absolutely. So again, I appreciate, thank you for having me on the podcast and uh, greetings to you and to your wonderful audience. So um, we live, my wife and I, my, my, my family, our six children, we live in the Washington, D.C. area. We live in Silver Spring, Maryland, and we have an organization that is called the Lev Experience. And we reach out, among many other projects that we do, we reach out to Jews really of, of all backgrounds. We have Jews who are uh, would consider themselves unaffiliated or, or uh, you know, secular. I don't know if they would consider themselves that, but Jews of really of all backgrounds, but also within the, the firm community over here to try to do our best to bring people closer to Torah, closer to Jewish values, closer to Yiddishkeit. Um, we've been here for almost 12 years now. So we've been doing this, you know, really 
front lines, all sorts of different things trying to be creative. And uh, we came here straight from Israel. We were living in Eretz Yisrael for um, four years married. I was there several years in yeshiva. And this was a project my wife and I decided we were going to come here and try to make a difference, try to be leaders, try to inspire people. And uh, yeah, it's been now c- coming up on twelve years. Do you have personal know. connections to Washington, or that, or that was just the place where where you landed? That was just the place. At the time, I was um, I had gotten smicha at Eishat Torah. I got involved with Eishat Torah uh, after I was married, living in Israel, looking for some place to expand a little bit you know i i was i was a yeshiva guy going to all the mainstream places good yeshivas and i loved them and i was looking for something different sort of i knew that i was on my my last wing of my my uh, kolel career so i went to Asia torah and i got involved with that and then we felt a very strong yearning especially i was there when rav noach weinberg the dean of Asia torah when he passed away and i w- and, and that was a very inspiring time you know, to be there, Rav Noah Weinberg was a larger-than-life human being. He was fire. And I, and I, I think that I had my f- the, the fire in my belly for a while, but being there at that time, seeing the impact, everyone coming out of the woodworks and hearing about the impact that Rav Noah had on people's lives, I was like, I got to do something. Like, I can't just sit here anymore. Like, you know, the world needs Shlomo Matzbaum. So, uh, so we, we started looking, and there was a wonderful branch of Eishat Torah uh, that was looking. Um, the, the, it was being run at the time by Rabbi Yaakov and Lori Palatnik, who are superstars in our world of Jewish outreach education. Uh, Lori Palatnik had just launched Momenta, the, what was then the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project, and that was exploding. So they were looking for someone to run the local branch, and uh, they found us, we found them. It was a nice shidduch at the time, and we came to the D.C. area, and we were running Asia Torah, my wife and I, for eight or nine years. Wow. And then we said, you know, we want to widen our reach a little bit, so we launched uh, something new, our current organization. And you're no longer uh, like a, a running, a pulpit rabbi, we'll call it. Exactly, exactly. So our organization, so... We're not in the shul business right now. That was part of the reason why we made the shift. We wanted to reach a wider audience and really have sort of the, the freedom to be, to go where we want, to be as creative as we want, to to target different communities on different weekends, you know, to, to do more in terms of Shabbatones and have a little bit more of the flexibility uh, to reach a wider audience. Sometimes when you're in the in the shul synagogue business, you're somewhat confined. So we were looking really to, to break out a little bit. Fascinating. But, you know, you can't do outreach unless you're um, strong inside. And for being 12 years um, in a place, how do you how do you find that your personal voda and your personal like internal world has grown from bringing in uh, in the outreach community? That, that is wonderful. There, it's a gr- that is a great question. I'll say right off the bat, um, you know, to, to whoever your audience is, and especially if you have those who are uh, in similar professions, there were certainly highs and there were certainly lows. Um, being in this job, being in this role, there was a, a, a constant necessity for me to reinvent myself and reinvent 
how I get inspired. And to be able to find chizuk inspiration um, in, in, in different places. And, and there were times when I felt like I was, you know, in the desert and really, you know, desperate for something. Um, a lot of it was about learning how to look inwards. Um, uh, my, my classes, I've always held myself to a very, very high bar in terms of giving classes. So for me, my classes demand a lot, a lot of preparation. And because of that, um, Torah learning for me, is, it, it's a necessity. I need to put in, I, I put in because I, I get myself into it, but to put hours and hours into every single class that I teach, uh, that's my pride and joy. Uh, every single class that I give is an expression of, of the Torah that I'm learning, an expression of my, my creativity. And I put in a lot of time and that, has given me just avenues to, you know, to explore and, and to grow. Um, I've also been able to utilize all of the, you know, of the world of podcasting and youth. And, and I'm always on the hunt. I'm always on the hunt for new books, new sources of inspiration. Um, and, you know, many of my rabbeim have become people that I don't even know, that I don't have any connection with. But they've, they've become my rabbeim through whatever media allows me to access them and, and, and tap into their teachings and their inspiration. Who, who's like a, a quote-unquote Rebbe for you when it comes to creativity, when it comes to someone who's able to take, and it doesn't have to be that they're specifically saying, you know, Jewish content, but um, there's so much out there in the world of creativity that's, that's not necessarily vulgar and disgusting, but it's just creative. It's super creative. Um, I'll give you, for me, it's... Uh, it's Casey Neistat. Casey Neistat is a is a YouTuber, and he his ability to take a story, his ability to take an idea, and, and it's through video. It's not what I do, um, anyways, but it's it inspires me. I watch some old Casey Neistats, and it gives me inspiration to to say a better share and to put together something um, a good shtickle Torah and something something just gives me the the ability to be creative. So for you, what would what would that be? So like I said, I'm I'm always looking and I'm always trying to find and and, and if you ask me, you know, I, I go through uh, I'm I'm not such a faithful follower of, <laughs> of anyone. I go through, you know, lots of different lots of different ins- inspiration. Um I, I've always looked to people that I thought were doing things uh different uh th- than I had previously seen. You know, so I'll give you a small example, and this is this is a little bit indirect. It's not directly answering your question, and I'll I'll get back to that a little bit. But you know, as uh, anecdotally, w- when I first was introduced to the band Fish, right? So to me, like in my head, like part of the program was like a so when you listen to a song, a song should be like four to six minutes long, like max. This idea that like a song could be twenty minutes to a half an hour was co- like it like rocked my world like what like is that you know how is that possible right but yet that was a way of saying you know what it doesn't have to be you know the the way you 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 thought so seeing um, in terms of creativity you know for me I developed a very very nice uh, relationship with Rev. Daniel Katz. Um, I thought Rev. Daniel Katz did a wonderful job of learning how to bring his, you know, he has a background in, uh, 
Jewish theater or um, but he's such a such a special human being and was ready to come into the world of Jewish education and be a disruptor you know say the say you know o- almost in the same way I, 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 I don't want to sound ter- or say something that would that he would be you know embarrassed that I would say and to compare him to the band fish is an unusual thing I'm not trying to do that <laughs> in any way but to say you know a fellow who could say no like you know, people are used to listening to classes that are, you know, what, 30 minutes, a half an hour long. Like, what, like, can we get people? Can we get people to listen for two hours? Because, you know, people coming into, not that I give two hour classes, but this whole idea that, you know what, if, if we really get them into that space, you know, we can really go deep with them and we'll have them for that time. Um, I don't know the, the who you referenced when you were asking the question. To me, um, listening to podcasts such as Tim Ferriss um, right. was, totally. you know, I mean, if there is one podcaster that I would say that I've been somewhat committed to for the long haul, um, uh, it's been Tim Ferriss because uh, I, I thought that he really, what he was, what, what he's able to deliver also is just a very wide breadth of talent and and how they operate and in a way that's very very tangible where i'll I'll almost walk away um with a new perspective of how the creative process works and there is no question that i don't know that i would have been successful in writing the book uh had it not been for some for, for some of the advice that i've heard on that podcast that's amazing that that's wonderful and i like also that you're able to take meaning the question assumed this, but that you're obviously able to look um, elsewhere and bring that creativity back to perpetuate the message of the Torah and the message of, of getting closer to Hashem. Um, that's, that, that's, as you've heard in other podcasts I've done, that's something that's very dear to my heart to those who can, who can take that. And that's uh, obviously true here. That's amazing. What, but how did that bring you to this being in, being in outreach and obviously growing as a Jew and growing in your internal world how did that bring you to this um, specific idea, this specific book on writing a book about uh, an empowered life? So the idea behind the book, for me, the motivation behind writing the book was that um, because I don't, we, we have a wide community of people who, you know, we touch, we see them, um, you know, if someone is very invested, even if they came to all of our class, and we have some people who really, you know, if we put up a class, I, they're, they're there. Um, but even still, through all of the classes, there was still this feeling of like, how deep am I really going? Like, do I really, am I really saying to them all that I want to say? Am I giving to them all that I want to give? Um, I, I, I felt that I needed to have something that I can put in somebody's hand and say, if you read this, then this can be the foundation of everywhere that I think that I can bring you in your growth, in your relationship to Judaism, in your, in your personal growth. If you read this book, this will be the foundation of all of the work that we're going to do together. And that means that, number one, um, it has to have a solid foundation of Torah in there. It has to be something that someone who is um, not necessarily connected and not interested in Bible stories 
um, how can we make it, how can we awaken them to speak about Avram and Sarah and Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov and Leah? How can we really weave those stories and turn those stories to them into a foundation for growth in their life? but also something that will have the language that they're familiar with, something that will sound like a self-help book um, and weave those two things together. Um, people are asking a lot of the, the questions that, that uh, I get in, in because of what I do are very much focused on you know, mission in life, their you know, Jewish philosophy, things like that. So how can we weave all of this together and build this strong foundation for someone to say, okay, I can read this book, and this is going to give me a foundation for for personal growth within the Jewish context. So that was that was my, my goal in writing the book. Um, obviously, for my own students, for the people that that we meet in our community, and also to try to spread the message, you know, a little bit beyond. Hopefully, that's fascinating. That the book is not um, after they hear and see and engage with you all over the, the internet and, in, and even in person. It's the, it's the foundation. It's the beginning. It's something, a hard copy. Um, and just to speak to books like that in general, having a book that you can underline, having something that you can save. Um, and it, it sits in your consciousness, even when it's on your, your bookshelf, it sits with you. Uh, it's a super powerful message. Even I find more than, even though I'm a, I love podcasts and I love all these things. I th- I find the books are, I, I do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also a big, big reader as well. And um, it's, um, you, you build a relationship, at least for me, you know, I, I, I find in my own reading that I feel connected. I feel connected to the author, um, I, uh, the, the messages within the book as they resonate with me, as I'm able to apply them. I feel that sense of gratitude uh, to the author. Yeah, they, they become part of your life. And, and to me, um, you know, again, there I, I've taught in different high schools and I've had the opportunity to have students there in front of me every single day. Uh, but right now, the vast majority of my students are not like that. And the question is, how can I become someone who's involved in your life daily when I don't see you daily? I see you only once a week. And I want to be I, I, I want to be that part. So over here, the book was sort of a way of me being able to give that piece of myself, you know, contribute it to them be on their bookshelf and, and hopefully continue to be mashpian to influence them in that way. That did Corona, um, did Corona speed up the process or <laughs> how long was this in the works this book? Corona could not have come at a better time for me. Um, this was not the first time that I had, uh, attempted to write the book. This, this is probably the fourth or maybe, maybe even the fifth attempt uh, you know, to write the book. And it, previous times, and again, I mean, this is, we could have a, a whole conversation about this because, I mean, this, is, this, this book was like a microcosm of like all growth uh, for me. But it was stop and go and stop and go. And really we had, I, I think we had a last December, we had a child, we had our sixth child. And because of that, I wasn't scheduling. This was December before Corona, pre-Corona December. Like every, like all time is now all, you know, mixed up for everyone. <laughs> but whatever year that was, <laughs> pre-Corona. A new meaning to BC, right? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Pre-corona, it's gonna have its own. Um, so uh, we had the, we we had a child, and because of that, I wasn't scheduling as many meetings. And I'm like, okay, you know, what happens when you're not doing short-term work? You're like, okay, let me think ahead. Let me think ahead. So for a long time, I had been um, I'd wanted to put together a very specific like curriculum because again, like there there are these messages that I feel like are the foundation of all of our teachings. And I wanted to build it into a course, a curriculum. So because I didn't have as many meetings set up, like, you know what, let's sit down and let's try to build this, this course. Let's build this curriculum. Now, of course, when you're building a course curriculum, it's very hard to start from scratch for me. So I went back to my notes and I started pulling together for the curriculum, all of the things that I had already written, all of my failed attempts, you know, of, you know, try the book here, try the book here. And I'm putting them together and have a little bit more time, you know, again, just because I'm not scheduling as many one-on-one meetings because you never know when the kid can be crying, when the wife's going to need help. And suddenly, like, you know what? Something feels like this is turning into something. Like the puzzle pieces are, are coming together very, very nicely. That was December. I think, right, if we were going back to, I think Corona hit hard. It was the end of February, right? February 2020. Well, I, yeah, I'm in Israel. It's a it's a bit different. Yours February, yeah. We're about February, yeah, March okay. 2020, yeah. Purim was right before that. And a couple of weeks before that, I happened to have gone to Israel for a simcha. Someone was making, an, uh, uh, an old c- uh, congregant was making a bas mitzvah. And he flew me in together with two of my daughters to Israel. And we were there for a couple of days because my girls wanted to spend time with their family. And for me, it gave me a lot of time. I, I had, the, you know, these free days and I parked myself in my little spot at Eisha Torah, you know, the spot that has so many fond memories. That's really, you know, for me, it's putting myself back into this physical space that I've had so much inspiration and so many dreams about what my life would look like. You know, how many times did I spend time on that Eisha Torah porch pacing back and forth, right? Pl- plotting how you're going to conquer the world, you know? And I'm sitting there on that porch, you know, with my computer and saying, okay, I have something here. Can I build on this? And I would take about three, four days, just hours and hours and hours, literally with, you know, the, the Makama Mikdash, right? You know, the place of the base of Mikdash, the, the Kotel right over there. And uh, it started really coming together over there, uh, a, a real full picture of what I wanted to say in the book, how I wanted it to look. And then a couple of weeks later, Corona happens, and then we now have more time. So I was able to spend a little bit more time then over the summer. We were part of the summer program. All of that got canceled. So my family, we ended up going to Colorado, which is, again, another wonderful place to get inspiration. And I spent a long time over the summer. And the, the, the writing of this book for me has in it, like it has hints of, of Israel. It has flavors of Colorado. Um, it just has just such a, such a sweet for me, a sweet personal story around the book that I think that itself has made the project really so much fun. That's amazing that you're so that you're so in tune to that that the place is uh, inspired. Like you know, oh, this is the Denver Torah, and this was the. Uh... <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the the part of the fun of writing the book is the process. I mean, it's so many hours. It's so many hours, and it, for me, like it was. It was the highlight of my my year. You know, there was so much thought and emotion 
and um, feelings of, of uh, and struggles and sleepless nights and victories. I mean, it's uh, the, the book itself, I, I would say for me, again, other people might read it and they're like, okay, boring book, you know, but for me, the adventures that were involved in the writing of the book, I mean, it's, it's you know, that itself is you know, possibly even more exciting than the book itself. <laughs> That's, and your story also speaks to um, being able to pivot. Now, like Corona's taught us a lot about being able to pivot. And we're, as an educator, we're used to doing things a certain way and teaching a certain way, teaching to live audiences, um, and that you were able to pivot and, and really, for you, find something that you really wanted to do for a long time, but that um, pivot away and use it um, in such an awesome, as, as an opportunity. You know, p- pivoting, I think, if you look at, the world and how the world reacted uh, to Corona. I think that you see that for some people it, it crushed them. It crushed their universe. It crushed their lives. And again, we're, I'm not speaking, obviously people that, that um, you know, people went through real, real awful, terrible, uh, difficult times, especially if someone got sick or lost if someone a lost one, a loved one, or even if you lost a job. Um, but, you know, outside of that, just for those who had to live through um, the struggles of of their whole life changing, you see how some people just took it and 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 just jumped in and said, "Wow, you know, look at look at all these opportunities. Look at how this is going to uh, how this can possibly change my family for the good. How this can give me time to take on new projects." And and many people really grew and were able to to discover new things about themselves, about their family, about their passions during this time. And those are the people who, who when you speak to them, you know, they're, they're empowered, they're thriving. And other people just, just fell apart. Um, and I think that's the difference. I think it was uh, uh, being able to pivot for us. It, it wasn't just about the book. Um, there were ways that we had to pivot with our family. Um, for me, it gave me, my wife and I opportunities to teach in ways that we were not able to teach before. Um, it gave our family ways to bond in ways that we weren't before. Uh, it, it was it was a nudge for us to become a little bit more active online, which is something that I think we were both a little bit media shy before that. No and way. This is only there. this is only through Corona. Your your all of your online Torah is since Corona. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't even record a class. There was not one class recorded ever before that. Um, and um, I remember the first time, you know, we, we were discussing a lot, my wife and I, like we have to start doing Facebook lives. Our audience, you know, they want to see these Facebook lives and literally like, what are we going to say? Like, you know, I, and our first Facebook live was that very first week of, of Corona when like, the entire world was just shut down and everyone thought, you know, Mashiach is coming. I'm like, you know what? Mashiach is going to come. We better get that one Facebook live in. So, you know, at least, so we did, we took that Facebook, we did that very first Facebook live, just telling everyone like, you know, embrace it. You know, who knows what's coming ahead, but this is going to be a time for growth. And I remember we were like, Shay, it took like, you know, it took a, a half an hour to just, you know, brace ourselves for this. What was about to come? Like, we didn't really know, like, is it actually on? Is it really live? You know, but we, we did that. And then, you know, after that, I was like, you know, this was fun. And then we started doing like 
Arab Shabbos, like before Shabbos, we were doing music, and I got my daughter to play piano, and we started doing some music online, and it really became second nature very quickly, but no, it was not natural to us at all. Amazing. What did you learn? What what did you say? Do you still have that first um, Facebook Live, or it's on Facebook? Yeah, it's got to be up there on Facebook someplace. Go back and watch it. Do you ever go back and watch it? No, I do not go back and watch the stuff. It's. I'm curious to know, like, if you, if you um you obviously changed, you know, your ability to speak uh, online and speak to a camera changed, but um, what do you think was like the the biggest change that you felt in yourself to be able to to get up there and now do it pretty naturally, very naturally and well. You know, I think that it's a mindset shift. It's not only a mindset shift, but I think that for me. I realize that social media is just that. It's a, it's a social space. And some people can walk into a social space the same way that you might walk into a community event. And some people are very natural walking into that space and schmoozing up the crowd and they're comfortable and, it's, and it just comes, ap- and, and, and it comes natural to them. And for some people, they want to feel more comfortable on the turf before they go in. Um, you know, to me, social media, it still is somewhat, but at least beforehand, it was, it was a stage. And uh, it was about making that mindset shift that stop looking at it as a stage and look at it as a social space. You know, speak to speak to people. Be comfortable over there because this is a place where you socialize. This is a place where you speak to your friend, not perform for your audience. Um, and I think that it was it was about getting used to viewing social media as that, as just you know, just be you, be natural, and you know, and and, and come here just to be together with the chevro who you're connected with, and and who you will connect with, and 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 how you end up really forming very interesting relationships uh, via social media with people that you've never met and you don't really know how tall they are. You know, I became friends with, with, with someone, you know, through this whole process, another rabbi who, you know, for some reason in my head, he was like 6'5". And then I met, you know, we have this common friend. He said, by the way, I just want to tell you, you know, he's actually really short. <laughs> it's good you told me that. Because literally, if I met him, I would have just been like, hey, you know, where is he? You know, like I wouldn't. So it's good. So, but it, it is, it's an unusual sort of friendship. It's a different type of friendship. But that being said, it is a friendship. It is a relationship. And again, in a different, weird, you know, 2020, 2021 type of way. But it is a relationship. So I think viewing it more kind of like that social space helped me. Right. I always say that um, before you post something on like a, a group chat, think about how you would present this funny video that you found uh, online. Like how would you how would you say that over at a Shabbos table? You'd explain, yeah. you tell everyone, hey, this is really funny. Or you would just put it up and walk away. But, you know, think about that. It's the, the social dynamic there on these chats and on, on, on social media um, should be quite similar to the same way you are. You don't just say, uh, you know, I hate you. You don't say that at a Shabbos table. So why would you say it here? You, there's a way to say it. I, something's on my mind and I'm really bothered by. Present it. You know, there's certain dynamics. But yeah, that, that's an interesting shift also in terms of, of educating and teaching that don't looking at, that, that's, a, that's a great lesson actually. Don't look at it as a, um, as a platform and as a stage, but rather as a friendship and a relationship building place and tool and opportunity. 
Yeah, and again, it's, it's always hard, especially because you know we are we do use it as a way of trying to engage people in our programs. But um, you know, someone said when you post a flyer on Facebook, just ask yourself if you were at a party, would you walk up to someone and stick a flyer in their face? That's that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, you, we should we should be asking ourselves that question exactly. Yeah. So so again, you know, it it, it takes time, and, and and obviously, it's always there is a balance of you know, we want to share. We're also sensitive to oversharing. Uh, we want to be influencers, but we're also sensitive to the fact that um, it's overkill for a lot of people because so many people are up there on on Facebook trying to influence, trying to influence. Especially um, with Torah is even harder. I mean, with real content is even and not entertainment is even harder. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, again, I, I, I still overthink it a little bit. Um, but but, you know, for us, we're really just we're, we're trying to be natural. We're trying to be ourselves and we're trying to put and I say we I mean my wife and I because we're on this journey together and just, you know, trying to to be real, not to overshare and not to you know try to broadcast ourselves too much. It's so fascinating that like every platform, whether it's writing a book or whether it's on Facebook and even for the difference between Facebook and Instagram and podcasting, it takes so much thought and thinking of like, what am I going to share? How am I going to share? Who am I sharing it with here? It's fascinating how much, how much thought needs to go into that um, on, each, on each platform. I'm just blown away by that. Yeah, and some people are, yeah, and, and again, and everyone has their own, their own social media uh, etiquette and uh you know again i i think the attitude is like if people don't like my stuff they you know they won't engage with it if they like it they will engage with it um you need to become a little bit more thick skin obviously you know the 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 instagram roller coaster of like you're being followed you're not being followed um it does it it it, it does it does um it it's a little bit it, it, it occupies a little bit too much time in my own mind um, and again, I accept that. It's, I, I, I believe that that's the, the natural ebb and flow of trying to establish yourself and, and any sort of quote-unquote platform online. But you do need to become a little bit just thick-skinned and say, I'm just going to be real, and wherever it goes, it goes. Yeah, it's funny. The first time I recorded on video um, my podcast, it was also like, I, am I doing this? Am I really doing this? But then I just, like you said, I just did it, didn't think about it, you know, um, just put it up and, and there's, there's something to that. I think it also helps you uh, be thick skin and not, not think so much about how you look, and what you think, what you think about yourself. Um, okay. So I, I love asking this question. If there's, if there's one demographic or, or a specific person, but, uh, if that could, that you would, wouldn't necessarily read this book, um, and you can get it in front of them, who, who would that be? A demographic that I don't think would read this book. And when, when we talk about demographics, that would read this book. So obviously, I wrote the book with my own audience in mind. My audience, uh, again, is, is is a wide is a wide range audience. Um, when the publisher is Mosaica, Mosaica's demographic for the most part, when Mosaica puts out their books. You know, they also try to make it appropriate for a very wide range, but certainly they probably thought about more of the yeshiva, yeshivish community um, 
probably more than I did when, when I was writing it. In fact, when I first submitted my the original manuscript, to me, really my main focus were the people that I deal with every single day. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily teach to the masses within within the yeshiva world. Um, that being said, the Torah that's in there is Torah that I can tell you <laughs> would be very much appreciated. I mean, the the insights, and again, I mean, this is these ideas were really thought through very, very much. And, and really any, any, any share, any class that I give, I'm always thinking like, would I be able to give the same class uh, back in my yeshiva days to those guys? What would they think if they heard this class? Would there be a chiddish to them? And, and I always want to think that there would be. Um, so I, I know that the demographic that this book will probably be most purchased by are, are is, you know, my, my demographic. That being said, you know, when I handed it to Rav Aaron Lapiansky, who gave me the, the haskama, the approbation on the book, I was excited. I was excited for him to read it because, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted that feeling of like, what will a Gadol Yisrael, like what will a great person uh, feel about the Torah that's in there? And And I think for me... I'm excited to have certain dialogues with my with my students about about the growth that comes from the book, the the practical habits, the daily habits, the shifts in consciousness, uh, the inner struggles. I'm excited about that, but I'm so excited about even the possibility that I think that I'm offering very new and unique approaches to, to Torah. And, 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 and I would love to have that interaction. I'd love it if it, if, if it made it on the table of people who, who learn Sefer Bereshis in depth and that I can have those conversations, you know, the conversations of like, you know, where did you get that from? And where did that insight come from? And, you know, and, 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 and I, I, I want, uh, I want to hear the question of, Oh, what, who did you base that on? You know what, like what commentary? And, 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 you know, for that inter, that interaction is something uh, that, that, that I dream and that I hope will come out of the book. Uh, even though that that's a demographic that we're not quite, you know, in with at least now. That's amazing. It speaks to also you as a person, as I've got to learn that you're you're in middle of these two worlds. That you, the the Torah and the Torah world is important, and being able to take that Torah and and spread it and make it more accessible to others um, is also important. And that's that that's exactly where the book sits. So that's amazing. Yeah, and and uh, everything that we do, all of our teaching, you know, myself, my wife, um, all of our teaching, it's an outgrowth of our of our own personal journey in Yiddishkeit. Um, everything, every class, but my, my class is now with, it's Pesach coming. My class is now on Pesach. It's my own preparation for Pesach, my own preparation for the Seder being shared with others. Um, if, if it's not inspiring me, if it's not part of my own personal journey, then it's not part of our, of, of our, our organization. Um, the learning that I share is an outgrowth of the learning that I'm doing for myself. So it's it's 
my my I remember when I when I first got started, my grandfather he gave me this muscle. He said, "You need to be like a, a an overflowing cup." I think he might have actually gave me the full visual. I think he took it was on Shabbos morning, and I think he actually took a cup of orange juice and literally had it spill over the top. And he said, "That has to be you." And uh, that's been from the beginning. From the beginning, that's been the the goal is to is to try to grow as a Jew, try to grow closer to Hashem, uh, try to try try to 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 solve this mystery of how to just be an on-fire Jew in uh, modern times and say, okay, you know what, whoever wants to come along, whoever's willing to listen to me, like, let's come along, do this together, and I'll, and I'll share uh, my own personal struggles in my classes, I'll share my own personal growth, my highs and lows um, in, in my classes as well, and for me, that's that's the key to my, my personal growth. That's, yeah, that speaks volumes. Um, you mentioned earlier, um, and I don't know if it, I don't know if we'll, if this is too long for you, but uh, you mentioned earlier that you it was important for you obviously to get um, you brought the book to Rolopliansky to Byron to see to read, and besides just being one of the uh, most underrated or quiet gedolim that we have uh, today, why why was that important to you? What, what does that what does that mean to you? Like when you have a book with a with a haskama with approbation from Byron Lapiansky on it. Well, I, I had asked Ravarin Lavansky many questions, even up until that point. I, I had the opportunity, um, because I live here in Silver Spring, so I, I had the great, amazing privilege of having a chavrusa with him for a short time when I first came, um, for about um, it was probably a little bit over a year. And then I had the even greater privilege um, that he would actually visit his mother. His mother was in an was in old age home here. And I was I, I would drive him, so we had about forty minutes or so in the car together where I could just you know pick his brain, um, and uh, and uh, that it, it was a wonderful wonderful uh, a wonderful privilege to have that. Um, I wh- when I, I I knew putting out the book was necessary to get haskamos and get these approbations. Um, it, it felt funny to me going trying to you know collect from people that I did not have any relationship with and um, and I don't have too much of a relationship with many others who like who would excite me to have their name on my book you know I wanted it to be someone that I had that connection with that I had that Kesha with so going to Aaron it, it was very very meaningful you know again to, to be able for me to open up the book and again if someone for those who who look for big name approbations, big name Haskamos, they're not going to find it in this book. Um, it just wasn't um, it just wasn't enough on my radar. But this is special for me to open it up and and, and to have a Reverend's name in there. That's f- that's very special. That's that's nice. Thank you. Um, Okay, Shlomo, I feel like I could talk to you for a lot longer, um, but thank you very much for coming on the show, and this was... Uh, thank you. This was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful getting to know you as well, and thank you for, for uh, letting me share those, just letting, letting me share those thoughts. It's, it's, it's wonderful to talk about these things.